I'm Anne Dollenshaken here listening to Coffee Conversations about influencer marketing. Today we're in conversation with Nsika Mashutu, the sponsorship PR and brand engagement manager at MultiChoice. He is a seasoned communications and sponsorship professional with over 15 years of experience in crisis management, media liaison, sponsorship and campaign management, reputation management and communication strategy development. Grab a coffee and listen as we discuss how DSTV had to change tact when lockdown hit right after it took over the Premier Soccer League and had no access to underground activations anymore. The brand's first experience of leading with influencers on a marketing campaign, why sparking authentic conversations on campaigns are important, and how using South African soccer fans was a big part of the Babise Bonke campaign. If you enjoy this podcast, you will also enjoy our fortnightly newsletter that keeps you up to date with influencer news from around the world. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salts have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influences. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Good morning, Sika, and thank you so much for making time to speak to us today. I'm super, super excited about our conversation. But before we get into it, can you please maybe briefly tell everyone about who you are and what a typical workday actually looks like for you? Oh, thanks, Anne. Um, yeah, so I'm Tikam Sutu. I'm the Sponsorship PR and Brand Engagement Manager at DSTV. Been in sponsorship and PR probably for the last 14, 15, or just, geez, 2022. So sure. It makes it 15 years now being um, around the sponsorship and PR uh, slash brand engagement side of things. Geez, to ask about a typical workday. <laughs> I really don't believe there's such a thing as a typical workday. I think, you know, working in a marketing space, uh, no two days are the same. My job also, you know, kind of incorporates a lot of media relations and PR. So if I were to try and put out a typical workday is, you know, dealing with a couple of media queries. I try to do a lot of reading around what's happening worldwide in the sponsorship space and seeing how we can filter that through into what we do in the in the context of what we have available to us in South Africa. And more importantly for me, around the properties that we have as DSTV. And yeah, a lot of meetings, uh, a lot of stakeholder management. Uh, you know, I laugh sometimes with the team and try, guys try and put some time in meetings. I'm like, will you find, <laughs> will you find that gap? Let me know, because I'd like to take it to have a cup of coffee. But I think <laughs> there's a lot of meetings that take place, but I guess they all too good effects. Um, you know, we have, a, we have to plan a lot. And I think a lot of people agree that, you know, COVID kind of put a, a spanner in the works and we've all kind of had to adapt to the so-called new normal. But I like it. It's challenged us as marketers. It's challenged us as sponsorship people to see how we do things differently. So, yeah, no two days are the same, but every day is interesting. I love that. You sound so passionate about what you do. And I also love what you just said, because I feel the exact same. Yes, the pandemic has obviously brought a lot of bad things, a lot of negativity, but it's also, like you say, challenged us and brought new opportunities for us as marketers, which just shook up the whole space. And we're really having an exciting time right now. 
No, most definitely. I think we 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 had found ourselves in, and I don't want to say a rut because you know people in in our space would yeah. really be angry if I said we found <laughs> ourselves in a rut. But I think you know if we're honest with ourselves, we found ourselves ticking a lot of boxes. You know, we were churning over a lot of work. I was finding personally that you know some of the creative work that was coming around or coming out was starting to look very similar to what we had seen before, and we we found ourselves when we were locked down. We had to find different ways to speak to people, different ways to engage with customers as brands. And all of a sudden, you know, we call it a new normal, but I think it's something we should have been doing every year, trying to find a different way, trying to be a little more creative, trying to think outside of the box and essentially really trying to push the envelope to see, you know, how we can be a little more different to how we were in a previous campaign, in a previous year or in a previous, I could say, decade. And I think that's been great for us. I've I've seen a lot of really creative campaigns coming out over the last two years. And I think that we've all challenged ourselves a bit more, which is really great for us as marketers. I 100% agree. And that, that quote kind of springs to mind. And I might be misquoting it. Um, necessity is the father of invention and creativity. And that's exactly what happened. We had to come up with solutions. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> um, you couldn't find yourself. And... Maybe if I take a step back and I I look at us, especially in the sponsorship space, we had really become reliant on the ground activation as brand touch points. COVID comes around and you can't activate on the ground. You can't be in stadium. You can't speak to those 10,000 people or 15 or 20,000 people that are at a soccer game. Now you need to engage them and you need to get your brand out there and get a relevance to your brand. How do you do it? And we found ourselves in that space. And more importantly for us, or more especially for us as DSTV, you know, we took on the premiership sponsorship and no no longer was the ink dry on the contract and COVID had hit. So we walked into our first year of the sponsorship and we really couldn't do anything on the ground. We couldn't have any on the ground activation. We couldn't have any fan engagement activities and we, we kind of had to sit as a team and with our agency. And luckily, we, we, had a, we have a good creative agency and the activation agency. And we have an awesome PR support agency on our side. And we had to find ways and look at different ways in which, okay, how do we as a new sponsor kind of stamp our mark on this new property? Considering we took the property over after 16 years at APSA, um, wow. you know, and now you come in and you, you've got this new property, which is probably one of the greatest sporting properties in the country. Yeah. And you need to try and activate and you need to try and make it DSTV and not APSA, but you can't do anything on the ground. So it's been really interesting. I can only imagine that day and it's just panic attacks all over the show. I would have been like, well, everything we planned, scrap that. Let's go back to the drawing board. That must have been such a panic attack. I'm sorry. I would have probably been like, I'm going to nap for like five hours. I'll chat to you later. <laughs> I think I probably did nap for about five hours. And even, <laughs> and even in my dreams, it was just like, yeah, well, when you wake up, I'm still here. Yeah, um, it took all of us by surprise, I guess. Of course. If surprise is the right word. We, like I mentioned, I think... I, we are fortunate as a business to have a really great PR agency. We have a really good activations agency. So the guys are really able to quickly turn around and look at ways to adapt to the situation where we found ourselves in. Um, social media all of a sudden became 
really big for us and how we used it. How we told our stories in the PR space became really important. For the first time since, and I've been involved in sports uh, with the PSL for a very long time now, for football in South Africa. And for the first time, we had to build a plan that was influencer-focused and influencer-led. And, and that, for me, was really interesting. I mentioned when we had a chat beforehand, I was, and maybe I still am a bit of a skeptic around influencer marketing, but two years on, uh, I'm here and I'm, I'm seeing results. And, and I think a learning curve for all of us, and I think COVID for the industry as a whole was a learning curve. So now you've said to me, and I know we spoke about this before, before we started recording, is that you were a bit of a skeptic about influencer marketing before you got involved in it. And I love asking my guests that question just purely because it's day and night when someone isn't actively involved in the channel versus after they've actually run a campaign or two, like their perceptions completely change. So I would love to know from you before you actually started getting involved in it, what was your concerns or what was your perceptions about influencer marketing that you were a bit like, "Mm, you know, I don't know about. Yeah, So I think for me, it goes back. And and I like to go back quite a bit. Um, you look at influencer marketing and you say, you know, what are we really looking to do? And uh, I've always I've always benchmarked this on, and I'll and I'll give a sporting example because you know we we we're really talking about something that's sports led. And I go back and I say, you know, Michael Jordan came onto the scene and he took Nike to another level, and Air Jordans came on, and everyone wanted to have a pair of Air Jordans, and that for me was influencing marketing indirectly and it wasn't called and it wasn't called influencer marketing back in the days you you look at golf golf was seen as a sport for generally the older people here comes this young guy tiger woods with the swish on his chest trailblazers every golf course every golf tournament and you know before you know it nike golf is on the rise and all of a sudden there is a new division within nike called nike golf there is a new group of golfers on the course, they're younger, they're sleek, they're more in tune with fashion. That for me was what influencers do. They're able to bring in a new crowd or an audience that you weren't really used to speaking to as a brand. You know, we get to where we are today and we speak influencer marketing. And I really ask myself, do we really get the same returns as what the previous examples that I've mentioned? But having done a few campaigns on influencer marketing, it, it's also about, you know, we, I ask the question is, what are we trying to achieve? And more often than not, we find ourselves in, in a space where influencer marketing today is around driving brand awareness, around driving conversation around the brand. It's moved from the above the line stuff that the, the previous examples I've mentioned was Nike billboards, social game time, incidentals on TV. And it's really moved from that to what can we bring to the social media space and how do we make sure that conversations around our brand in the social media space are positive? And having done a few campaigns, I'm starting to see you know, how we use them and the value of influencer marketing, if done correctly, what it can do for a brand. For sure. And I think those examples you gave us was brilliant because those are big macro celebrity influencers. And there's definitely still a space for them. And I think they're there for that incidental. People want to be cool like them. I know over the last decade that fashion and golf has really improved like my partner's a big golfer he watches golf when it's on I'm also like ooh, those golfers dressed really nicely you know and it never used to be that way and it was definitely a game changer but I I hear what you're saying I think it is 
defining what it is that you want to get from your campaigns and what success would look like for you. Because not every campaign can be about a tiger or to Michael Jordan type yeah. vibe. It yep. is, it's that consistent kind of real people who's also talking about your brand on the, on the ground. Just kind of having that conversation and entrenching it into communities through really relatable people who's already doing things and using things. Yeah, no, for sure. You look at, and I, and I want to look at the South African context, I think we have an oversaturated influencer marketing or we have an oversaturated base of, and I put inverted commas, influencers that are used in South Africa. And one of the things that I find, you you kind of see the same people coming up every campaign with different brands. So, For sure. And I don't want to mention them, but you'll see someone on a Nivea thing, you see them doing something for Dove, five months down the line, they're doing something for another, like a Revlon. And, but you see the same person with three or four different brands. And then all of a sudden, that same person, you see them cut across and now they're doing something for, for like Adidas. And, and, and you see these faces. And all I'm seeing is like a bunch of famous people just posting. And I think a lot of people have now started picking up that once you see these celebrities post about products, 90% of the time, they are paid to do it. And, yeah. for, and for me... When you look at influencer marketing, I want a Anne to tell me about her experience of using or watching DSTV, her favorite shows. So when we exactly. when we look at doing DSTV campaigns, it's got to be a conversation with an Anne who's got two kids that enjoy watching Cartoon Network that you know do kid stuff. So so when Anne is posting about, oh man. Guys, watch the show on DSTV. If your kids like science, there's this on that happening. Or if your kid is in, if your child is into sport, you know, these are the, whatever you can find on DSTV. That is a more authentic conversation. It's more real life. And Anne's got a circle of people that follow her. There's maybe 10 or 15 other Anne's who can engage in the conversation more truthfully than you get A.B. de Villiers, for example to post yeah. about what his kids are watching. Because the minute he does it, the first question I ask myself, or the first question people still tend to ask is, I wonder how much, really? they pay, how much are they paying exactly. AB to talk about this? Like, really? Yeah. Do you really, AB? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, hence, and, and, and that becomes my, I guess, my sore point, and is that when you see the same people talking about different brands this week, and uh, I'll make a perfect example is this week you're talking about Netflix and the next week you're on a DSTV campaign. How authentic is a conversation that you're really trying to have? Yeah. Look, I will, I will counter that and say I don't think there's anything wrong with it, depending on, obviously, the time between those campaigns because we're all multifaceted. I've got DSTV and I've got Netflix and I've got Showmax and I've got all these other things. So I think that can be authentic it just depends on how that is positioned and i also think that people must know that you before you've been paid for this that yeah and watch netflix yeah and watches dstv and I, but i 100 agree with you with the authentic conversations that carry on with the smaller influencers like you're saying if ab de villiers posts about his kids and dstv i can guarantee you those thousands of comments that he's getting is not about dstv or carrying on with the conversation. Yeah. But 
I will give you an example. I watched the final of Dexter last night on DSTV. Killed me, broke my heart, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and I was very unimpressed with the final episode. And on my Instagram stories, I mentioned it. I was like, guys, I was not okay with this. And I had so many DMs and conversations about this episode where we were all talking about it. And I was like, yes. And someone even was like, oh my gosh, I haven't watched it yet. It was good. I need to go watch it. I was like, yeah, go watch it so we can discuss it. And I don't know if celebs get that kind of personal, authentic and, conversation. And I think for me, and that's, that, that's exactly my point, is that when, when you engage in these kind of campaigns, and I, and, and, I, and, I, and I say to the guys is that I want us to create conversation. You know, the person or the influencer we use needs to be someone who is going to be part of the conversation. There needs to be engagement. Like the followers need to be like, oh my word, Tika, actually, I remember the last time we spoke about golf on your timeline, just what you're saying. Exactly. And now you've changed your mind and now you're talking about one, two, three. But did you see this? Do you know that? Then there's a conversation going on. And even if, you know, you're using the hashtag of your brand and because that's how you track the conversation by hashtag. But it's authentic because now someone can go back and say, I remember or when you spoke about this and you're always talking about that. And then they bring in that back into the conversation about brand is that now it's authentic. The thing I don't enjoy and, and, and the thing I like to tell people, want people to shy away from is this thing about writing copy for, for influencers. No, uh-uh, no, please, ought, no. <laughs> we can have a whole podcast about that. Because then you automatically see, like, but Anne doesn't speak like that. Unzige doesn't no. speak like that. You can already see that that's a brand tone. If you are going to use influencers, then you've got to allow that vulnerability for your brand that someone needs to be able to take over and do it in their way. And I think that a lot of brands aren't quite there yet to allow that vulnerability for, for influencers that they use too to kind of be able to do it in their way. We still want to have that insight. We want to draft a bit of code, maybe say it like this, maybe do it like that, which takes away from the authenticity of the post. I 100% agree. And I always feel like if you want to script the influencers' uh, captions, then you might as well just do a brand ad because that's what it's going to be. Your engagement's going to be low. Your reach is going to be low. It's just going to be another ad that's being pushed out. And I do agree, but I, I also understand from a marketer's point of view, this is your brand, it's your baby, right? You just want everything to be perfect. And I get that. But I also think that comes into to the briefing side where we make sure that we have a structure. This is the do's and the don'ts. But within that framework, please go wild and speak to your followers how we know they love and they're there for a reason. And you're right, we do need to have do's and don'ts. And that's that's... Probably, that's just standard. But when I say allow vulnerability is that you give the person the do's and don'ts, but then you've got to trust them that they're not going to damage your brand or bring it into dispute because they've got a list of do's and don'ts. They know how to say what not to say. You know, they know that if you want to mention my brand in your post, please don't use vulgar language and all those kind of things. The vulnerability is allowing them and saying, you know, I'm giving you this opportunity to kind of be a voice for my brand outside of my brand. Take ownership for it as if it was your own and let's see what you can bring to it. And, and that's, that's essentially what we need to start doing is that because a conversation doesn't become authentic just on its own or by us writing posts for people. The conversation is people seeing that, wow, brand X has really allowed influencer Y to actually just be themselves and to just run with it. And it's so cool to see these kind of things happening. And that's where we've got to be, is just 
allow ourselves a little bit of vulnerability and, sure. and allow the guys a little bit of creative leeway to see how they do it. I, could, I completely agree. And those are the campaigns that usually does amazingly well. Yeah, and, and, they, and they really are. I mean, so I'll, I'll go back to a campaign we ran towards the back end of last year for our Babisa Bonke viewing experiences. Probably our first, last year was our first activation since we've taken over the DSTV, the premiership sponsorship. And we've got a, a mixture of micro, macro, and nano influencers to kind of put out some posts. The idea behind it, and once again, we had a clear thing saying, vision now here to say, we want to drive engagement on our social media pages ahead of the activation on the ground. Once we, we, we really found guys, and, and I think this, this also speaks to the kind of influences we have, we found guys who generally are part of the football conversation. Guys who, on a regular afternoon, you'll find them speaking about football, whether they are part of a campaign or not. And we said to them, look, guys, this is what we want to do. This is what we're trying to achieve. We have this activation on the ground. It's the first time we're doing it. We just want people to follow our page and they could win, stand a chance to win. Um, we want to create a conversation around the activation. You do it, run wild, but hear your parameters of do's and don'ts. And the results we got were amazing for me. I think within the first seven days of running the campaign, our Twitter page had increased by like six, 700 followers. What? That's amazing. And we we're just like, wow. And that's from, and hence I say, I was skeptical about it because of the mindset yeah. of what an influencer should be doing. At the end of the day, you know, we are all numbers driven to say, if we're putting this in, then we want to sell X amount. But when you move and you change your mindset to say, actually, we're bringing influencers on board, A, to change the language or the tone of engagement around our brand on social, and B, we want to increase um, our numbers, we want to increase engagement, we want to cre- increase conversation, then we all know why we're doing it. We're not trying to sell, but we're trying to build sure. a conversation. So that for me worked so well. And even within our business, guys are like, wow, you know, it, it, it's, it's really starting to show. But that wouldn't have worked or that wouldn't have been the case if we didn't set it out from the get-go that this is why we're doing it and this is what we want to achieve. Super, super important to start when you start planning influencer campaigns, not just to go straight to who the influencers are, like you say. You need to start thinking, okay, what do I want to achieve? What does success look like? And work it back. And then lastly, you only get your influencers on board because you need to have the right people to drive that conversation. And I think you guys did the absolute right thing. You found the guys who people are really engaging with around football or soccer. They're having those organic conversations already. It's something we miss. And we, we've had we, we, we've fallen into this trap once or twice before as well. We're just like, we've got this thing coming up. What can we do? Oh, guys, let's just get influencers. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens. I mean, it's happened to us. And I'm sure you've seen it happen with a lot of other brands. Yeah. And we For and, sure. And we kind of see it because we say, geez, guys, why did you do that, though? And we ask ourselves that question. But we ask it from the outside. But if we were all to take a step back, we'd say, we've actually made that very same mistake somewhere along the line as well. We're like, we've got this, and we just want to make a noise. Let's get influencers. What happens 90% of the time when you approach it like that, you get the wrong group of influencers. So 
Yeah. Even though, and, and then you wonder why the conversation hasn't taken off. And, and I love this question. People ask me, oh, man, so you're getting influences. Are we going to trend? And I'm like, well, oh, that's not the yes. idea. <laughs> that's not the idea. And, and there's a lot of people who feel like once you have influences, then you must trend. But yeah. that's, that's not the idea here. You could trend, but you could trend for the wrong reasons, even with those influences. We've seen that, yes. <laughs> that's not a great feeling. <laughs> And you trend off uh, for the wrong reasons, off the back of an influencer campaign, because people are just having a go at you because of the influencers. Correct. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. So for that then, what kind of KPIs were you measuring? Because I, I get the feeling you were you did this right. You had a plan, you had KPIs, you were measuring metrics. Which metrics is really, really important for this campaign? Look, I think metrics are important for all campaigns. Um, this was our first one. We had really set ourselves a target of growing our follower base by, I think, 400 people. But we'll okay. 400 followers. And that was... And that was a brand target. So that was our targets. So this is what we're looking to do by using these influences. We had not set out a clear, we didn't have a, a KPI or matrix for, for, for the influences. But with that said, I think that, you know, when you do these kind of things or when you have these kind of campaigns, it, it, it is important that you set out a KPI or some sort of KPIs for the influencers themselves as well, so that, you know, there's something of tracking if they did good or not. Because yeah. one of the things we couldn't say, as much as we achieved our KPI as brand or what we wanted to do, we couldn't really track and say, okay, and as an influencer, you kind of, you achieved your KPIs or you underperformed or we should use you again because mm. of one, two, three, because we never had those kind of things in place. And it's something we've now implemented to say, when we have an influencer campaign, we first need to look at what are our KPIs, what do we want to achieve as a brand? And then we kind of sit and say, okay, this is what the KPI should be for our influencers. So yeah, like I said, we, we learn as we go. And I think in South Africa, we haven't, quite evolved or gotten to that point where uh, I, I see a couple of campaigns that are run in the, by the guys in the US and I don't want to compare because their market has been doing this for years but you know we're going to get there at some point but we've got we've got to build these things looking at the landscape that we are working with and not try and think that a copy and paste of what we're seeing happening in the US or in other markets is ideally going to work here. And I think that's a really good point because I also say that to clients, you cannot compare. South Africa, we haven't been doing it for as long as to your point. Um, the nice thing about that is that we can look at other markets and see the pitfalls and avoid certain things. We're also a super unique market that even if we do look at, at what they're doing, their trends won't necessarily work for us, but we can take inspiration from it which is always great. And I do think we do learn as we go. That, that's what any marketing is about. We have learnings from the previous campaigns. We put things in place so we know 
that the things we would see, like you were saying, we didn't have specific KPIs for the influencers. The next campaign, they're going to be there. So it's all good. We learn, we grow. Yeah, I think that's the beauty about finding yourself in a market like South Africa in that we're not as developed as others, but we developed enough to to create our own norms and standards. And that's that's always amazing because when you get to a point where, you, where someone brings up an argument and says, but that's how they do it in the U.S. You We're can, not the U.S. You can always <laughs> come to it to say, okay, let's, let's go look at the U.S. market and see you know who they're talking to in South Africa. You got to you talking like the LSM split of the conversation you're gonna have is so wide that exactly. you, you can't say it worked in the US or why aren't we doing it like they do it in the US because the conversations are different. You look at you look at social like the people on social are from the highest to the lowest LSM. Everyone is involved or has some kind of social presence. Like I was surprised. So I come from. A rural area in the Eastern Cape. Like I went down for the holidays to Kamata, where I come from, and the amount of people that are on Facebook in the rural yeah. areas is amazing. So already, when you are trying to engage an audience in a rural area, it's not going to be the same as you trying to engage with someone that's sitting in Johannesburg or in any other metropole. So Definitely already, not. so already, your approach is going to be different. And I look at it: some of the biggest consumers of our brand of people sitting in the rural areas or in peri-urban areas. But the way you speak to them or the way you engage with them is totally different to how you're going to engage with someone who's sitting in Sandhurst or Danefern or Constantia in Cape Town or Belito in Durban or any other one of these kind of metropole areas. So that's what makes our market different is that you've got to be able to speak across or speak to people across a spectrum from the highest LSM to probably the lowest and that's really challenging sometimes but i feel like we're getting there like you say it's just putting in some research and some thought behind things and it's not a one size fits all no geez you automatically fail yourself if you think you're never one size fits all campaign <laughs> I mean, no, for sure even with us i i look at it and we have the conversation and we laugh about it amongst ourselves as a team we're like guys everyone in south africa loves football and I'm like, yes, everyone loves football, but how many people love the product that we are selling? Because ah, we, we that's are two selling, different questions. <laughs> we, we are selling the PSL. Yes, everyone loves football. Ninety percent of South Africans watch it, but of that ninety percent, how many of them are watching the PSL, and how many mm. of them are watching EPL? Because those yeah. are two different conversations. So when we make our plans and when we when we work on our brand engagement plans, we can't say, oh man, we're going to use we're only going to use Instagram, TikTok, and all those kinds of things. Because 90% of the market we are talking to are not on Instagram and TikTok, nope. but they're on the ground and they have Facebook. Yep, 100%. So we, we need to skew our campaigns to look at how do we make sure that our conversations are more targeted towards Facebook. And I'm not saying let's neglect the other two, but I'm saying we need to ensure that our, our concentration is skewed to most where mm. the... Where, where, where the genuine conversation, the genuine followers are of our brand or, or the genuine consumers of our product are. And we can still have that conversation with the people on the Instagram, on Twitter, and uh, on TikTok. But 90% of the guys we're trying to talk to are not there. No, for sure. And I think that is super, super important. You can't just look like, oh, 
TikTok's the news craze. Let's just go TikTok. It's like, no, 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 no. If your audience isn't there, you're going to be speaking to a wall. So to your point, Facebook is where most of your audience is. Obviously, 90% of your effort needs to go into that channel. Yeah. I mean, even with TikTok, and like TikTok comes out and everyone's like, oh, man, what should be on TikTok? Not all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hold it. Let's pull up the brakes. Let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's think about what, but what kind of a brand are we? Are we a brand that's really going to resonate with the TikTok audience? That's the first yeah. question you need to ask yourself. Are we? And if you're not, then there's no need for you to try and play on TikTok. But see how you can improve on the platforms where you really are. TikTok, yes, is short form content. But you don't need a TikTok account to, to kind of play in that space of making short form content. If you want to make short form content, make it, but make sure it works for the platforms where you are and where your people are going to consume it. I wish I could give you a high five. That's the kind of thinking we need going into marketing in 2022 because it's so important to think about those things. No, it most definitely is. I mean, I, I, I sometimes ask myself, like, what, what is it that's going to be so different in 2022 and what can we do differently? And one of the things we need to, to kind of look at doing differently is to put in performance-based deals with our influencers to say, sure. I'm, I'm not just going to give you 100,000 rand for you to do this campaign. We're going to put some kind of performance matrix in place to make sure we are all getting what the best out of you and you are able to deliver to the best that you can for this campaign. So that's one of the yeah. things we need to look at is like, you know, how do we make sure that we, we put these performance-based deals in for when we're running these kind of our influencer campaigns? Because once again, here's 100,000 rand, go do your thing. How do you know it worked? No, for sure. And you need to, to measure those things, right? So that you can also see which influences works really well for your brand so you can start using them more and build up like a really good good little army of influencers that you know speaking to the right people who's getting the results. At the end of the day, that's what matters, right? Yeah, and, and that's what you need to do. And I guess the second thing we need to say is it's 2022. Are people really still engaging with macro influencers? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, really? for me, my goal this year is to say, guys, we need to refine our micro and nano influencer strategy a bit more to see how we tap into those and use those influences a bit better this year and a bit more strategically because that's where the conversations happen and those where, that's where like genuine and authentic engagements will come from. I 100% agree with you. And over the last, I think also with the rise of the pandemic, we saw that the smaller influencers have really started making big moves because they are part of communities. People know them. They're accessible, they're relatable, and especially the nanas, it's your coworker, it's your family member, it's your friend. What's not authentic about that? Yeah, and I think that's where we've missed it. And I, I remember I posted this on LinkedIn, I think just at the start of the, the pandemic around the importance of brand collaborations, how we can use brand collaborations to kind of speak to audiences that we wouldn't have genuinely tapped into as brands if we just stuck to our own ways. And we now need to see how we, we shift that from just brand collaborations to brand and influencer collaborations to make sure that we are having these conversations or we start to appear in spaces where people wouldn't really expect our brands to be. And that's, and that's okay. And that's fun because 
If you've always known DSTV to appear on the back of a milk carton, how do you now make sure that someone picking up a can of Coke is engaging mm. with DSTV? Appearing in different spaces allows for conversation around, okay, cool, why are you here? Okay. And, oh, this looks so different. Pepsi last year did this thing so well when it comes to brand collaborations. They, they collaborated with, with fashion designers. They were collaborating with the NBA. They did it with the NFL. They just really made sure that they were out there where, where, where the consumer of Pepsi was. They made sure they were at the forefront to make sure that when you pick up a can of Pepsi, or, and I think the best example of this is they did this for the launch of Money Heist, where they made the cans. And I think that was just brilliant. You know, when was the last time you saw those cans? I think it was probably in the mid-90s where you saw cans with characters from movies or like a series. And then you'd collect the cans. And that was brilliant for me. Like, I guess it wasn't groundbreaking. It was a simple execution. But when you open a cat, when you open a fridge to pick up a a can of Pepsi, you're also seeing something from Money House, which for me was just amazing. I think sometimes the simplest plans or the simplest strategies work the best just purely because it's not complicated and it just works no definitely and i think sometimes we we try and overthink or overcomplicate things where the simplest execution is probably the best thing we could have done for sure so nsika you sound like you have your head on right when it comes to influence marketing and i love that we're on the same page that makes me think, do you outsource the implementation and kind of strategy of your influencer marketing or do you do that in-house? It's a combined effort. There are people who are specialists at it. And I think for us, we, we like to work with people who have a better understanding of the space that we want to operate in. Yeah. So, yeah, we outsource it. But trust me, there's a lot of back and forth and debate around it um, before I'm we, sure. we sign off. Like I said, I was a skeptic and... It, it, it took a while for them to get me sold, but I think, like I said, they are specialists and they kind of gave me the understanding and showed me hard work. So we've been fortunate once again to have agencies and people that we worked with that are specialists at influencer marketing and they've really helped us. Yeah, and I love that mindset because I feel like sometimes marketers want to try and be kind of the expert in all the fields. And actually, when you start employing people who are experts in it like your specialist agencies they've already done this for the last decade or whatever it is so they're not going to be experimenting they know what works and what doesn't and they will kind of guide you and it will take that headache away from you trying to learn everything you need to know in the next 10 days that they've accumulated over years and years yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you say it takes a headache away. There's, there's a certain peace of mind that you get when you work with guys that are specialists or guys that have done something before. I've yeah. always said that, you know, I got my job because I have an understanding of what I do and I'm good at what I do. So there's a reason these guys are the influencer agency. For sure. Why not use them? In saying that, I also think that it's always good to keep them on their toes, challenge, ask the questions that you need to ask. I don't believe that you should take everything that's put in front of you at face value. And no. I believe that one of the things we need to start doing um, or need to look at doing a little more is is kind of questioning the, the, the campaigns that are put in front of us so that we also better understand why people are being chosen or the approach that is put on the table is the one that is being tabled. No, I agree with that. And I think it's very important for you as the marketer it is your brand to be super involved in that. Ask the questions, um, you know, put more ideas on the table. 
it's, it's like a collaborative effort at the end of the day. We want the clients to be super happy, but we also want it to work really well. And it's just, you can't just do it from one side. Yeah, it's and it's always a joke that the, the guys at agency say have. I'm like, no, guys, we're a team. And someone's like, no, you're client. I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I might be client, but when I go back to the business and present this, and I don't know what's happening, I'm the one who's going to look very silly, not you. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I enjoy I enjoy the debate and I enjoy having to go through it. And sometimes it becomes a bit of a tedious task because I nitpick on, you know, why this person, why not that person? And then you have to have that conversation. And why do you choose this approach for this campaign and not a previous one? So that you understand. I mean, mm. it's pointless having it and you're not able to understand why we're doing it for this one and it didn't happen for the last one. Or maybe we should do it for this one and try a different approach for the next campaign. Um, and that's a lot, those are the conversations I enjoy having with the team as well. And I think it's important because to your point, if you go and present back the results or the campaign, you're going to get those questions. And if you haven't asked it and you don't know, it's a bit of a, it's going to be, it's going to be hard on you. <laughs> yeah. When we present, we present probably in front of probably 60, 70 people that sits on our oh. call when you present. And if one question is asked and you don't know, it, it just doesn't look good on you. But I, no, think, exactly. I think also asking the questions is really not about, you know, you looking good when you when you have to present your business. It's also, it helps you to understand. Um, yeah. I, I've, I, I've always been of the belief that you never stop learning and you learn more by asking more questions. And for me, it's, I've learned so much in the last two years just by working with influencer marketing agencies about not only influencer marketing, but, you know, how to look at what we do differently. So mm. it doesn't, not necessarily in the market, influencer marketing space, just generally just, you know, giving you a different eye or a different outlook on the work that we do. Look, it's really dangerous in our industry to, to ever stop learning. You have to keep reading and watching and learning and evolving because everything changes so quickly. You can't be stuck doing the same thing you did four years ago. It's just, it doesn't work that way in our industry, unfortunately. Yeah. You say four years ago, like you can't do this. Oh, last <laughs> month. <laughs> yeah, last month. You, you, you can't think that a campaign or an execution that worked two, three months ago is going to work again now. For sure. And I think that is a great high note to end our conversation on. So Ntika, thank you. You've been so insightful and I think everyone's learned from you as well. Um, I've definitely made a couple of notes. So in closing, can you maybe tell everyone where they can find you online if they want to learn more about you, if they want to learn more about DSTV, where can they do that? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with... Uh... DSTV. So yeah, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. It's at DSTV on Twitter, at DSTV underscore ZA on uh, Instagram, and on Facebook, it's DSTV. And then I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at Ntsigamsutu on Twitter. And yeah, I'm more than happy to have these conversations. It's always interesting. Fantastic. And thanks again for your time. And I'm sure we'll chat to you again soon. All right, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much, Nsika. Thank you. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt. 
the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.